Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But how many human beings as adults are able to do this in adult relationships? It's easy to see that this is actually very difficult. So because this is very difficult, just with one person or another, now try doing it in a business of 100 people with 20,000 people in your market. It just gets amplified. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from Clear and Open. Most people think they know what marketing is, but they aren't actually doing it. And those who think they hate marketing don't even really know what it is that they think they hate. When we hear the word marketing, many of us jump straight to advertising, and so those words are used interchangeably. But that's actually not accurate. If we think of marketing not as an activity, but as a discipline, what it is actually starts to make sense. I'm excited to announce my next course actually just began June 23rd. There's still time to join. I'd love to have you. It's called Light and Shadow Themes from Strategy to Soul. I'm very excited about this course as it's been years in the making. I'm teaching a unique model that I've worked on for some time. It's based on an assertion, a courageous, I would offer, you might think arrogant assertion, that human beings only have eight different problems at the core. And I've been using it to coach people and train coaches with powerful results. When you can diagnose these core eight problems in yourself and others, each person usually only has one, you're working at a deep soul level that reveals how superficial most work is without it. If you parent, manage, or mentor, this course is for you. But it certainly can help anyone with a curiosity about themselves and a hunger to grow. Light and Shadow Themes began June 23rd, runs an hour per week for 11 weeks. It's all online in sort of real time within a day after the sessions happen. So it'll turn into an online course, but I'd love to have you join us live. For more info, please go to clearandopen.com slash themes. Again, clearandopen.com slash themes. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. So when I say marketing... What comes to mind? What is marketing in the associations that you have? What comes to mind? Advertising. Yes. That's like, if this were the family feud, that would be the number one answer. Mine's branding. Branding. Okay. And say a little bit about what what branding is. To me, it's the client or potential client's awareness of my business, my product, my services. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Yeah. And I, I, that's how I would define branding is that it has to do with the prospect and customer's awareness and sense of the business, its brand. Yeah. That's how I would define branding. What else comes to mind? Anything, anything besides what we just said? I would say something similar to what Catherine mentioned in how you portray your products or services to your potential clients. Is that different than advertising? Includes it. Advertising as, I'm sorry, I view advertising as sort of like the, um, the 
money or effort to kind of uh, convey that to the customer and maybe marketing as just the representation of it. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. Uh-huh. That's sort of like a branding thing. Okay. Anyone else? That's just these. Yeah. I, I think of it as this huge ball of uh, wool or elastics or something that there are so many prongs that have to be working on so many different avenues all the time at, with the same brand, the same look and feel, you know, there's just so many avenues. Um, to get your brand or your marketing or advertising across, but you have to do all of them at some yeah. level. Yeah. So it's just this monster thing that you have to control. Or because if you don't control your brand, someone else is going to control it for you. Very often, yeah, for sure. Uh, unless you're the only person doing what you're doing, how often is that? Uh, okay, so cool. This is great. a great start. So marketing is a fascinating example and a simple example of the classic confusion between context and content that I'm always talking about. So when we define marketing as advertising or branding, which is typically... Advertising is the first thing people typically think of. Branding is a little bit more sophisticated, but both of those are downstream of what marketing actually is. And of course, you know, these are words. So we're talking, you know, people define them different ways. But what's interesting is that with all these terms, branding and marketing and, uh, you know, uh, public relations or whatever, there's how people define it slants to the downstream content stuff rather than the context stuff, which is what we do all the time. So like, um, for example... Uh, working on a relationship or a relationship building or working on a marriage. When people talk about working on a marriage, if you ask a thousand people, right? 100 people survey, top 10 answers on the board. Here's the question. Um, People will, will default to thinking in terms of doing rather than the more being side of things. Well, we're working on our communication and our marriage rather than people will not default to, I'm working on my childhood wounding that caused me to uh, marry someone who is a representation of my mother slash father. That's not what people say, see? But that's far more an influence because if you try to improve the communication in your marriage, you're communicating on top of the foundation of the codependence that caused you to draw this person in the first place. See, now that's maybe less than a simple example. So let's use something even simpler, marketing. Marketing is, a, is not an activity. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to think about it this way. To think of marketing not as an activity, but as a discipline, a way of orienti- orienting, a way of thinking, uh, a, a study like an ology, market, marketology or something. Marketing is the study and uh, investigation, exploration of who your customers are, where they are, how they think and make decisions, what kinds of senses, sensory impact they need. And then that leads to a general strategy of how to communicate with them. But the the communicating to um, prospects and customers Let's call that not marketing. Let's call that lead generation. Advertising is a subset of lead generation. 
I'll generally use the term lead generation because it's broader than advertising. Because for example, word of mouth is not advertising, but it generates leads, doesn't it? Public relations is not advertising. Technically, it ought to be free if it's real PR. It's lead generation. It's not advertising. Advertising is a kind of lead gen. But all of that is downstream of the discipline of marketing, which is the systematic and careful investigation of the market, who your customers are, the kinds of people that they are. And then now, now what's right next door to that, interestingly, because if you start looking at who they are, where they are, how they think and make decisions, which are the three fundamental uh, uh, the three legs of the stool of, of marketing, demographics, geographics, and psychographics. And a lot of this is written down in the tool that came out of me on Sunday that I hope is okay because it all happened very fast. Um, uh, what comes up right then and there is who do you want to work with? You see? And this is one of the reasons, there's two reasons why people avoid marketing. One, it's context stuff and people just avoid that in general, but why? One reason is they're afraid of alienating people. So when you ask a typical small business owner, who's your market? Who do you want to be your customer? Typically, an inexperienced non-marketing person will say, anyone. We can serve anybody. And what's underneath that is they want to be all things to all people. Where do they learn that? They didn't learn that in a business school. I mean, most people don't go to business schools. They didn't learn that in any business book. There is no business book that you will ever see that says, when you market, you want to be all things to all people. You want to organize your business so you can serve anyone. No business book says that. They all say target market. So why do we default to wanting to be all things to all people for 25 points? Because we default to that in all areas of our life because we're conditioned to? From where? From our parents, probably. And also from like capitalism. Yes. First, though, the before we become capitalists, before we get cultural conditioning, we're conditioned by our parents where to the degree they don't meet us where we are, we think we have to become someone else in order to get along in the family. We twist ourselves into a pretzel to some degree to get along to the degree they don't see us and feel us exactly as we are. We contort at a deep existential level to become what we'll get approved of. We, we learn by the age of five to maximize approval and minimize rejection. Shortly after what's, called, what's known as the terrible twos, the rage that two-year-olds are so commonly um, uh, accused of uh, indulging is that that rage is actually saying, you don't feel me, you don't see me, something is horribly wrong here. And after that, because it happens that early, and then after that, when the infant gets that the parents don't like that rage, the child learns control and controls their behavior in order to maximize approval and minimize rejection. And then we grow up as adults and we orient toward everyone we meet unconsciously as how do I get this person to like me? Who do I have to become? Not always, but that's an unconscious thing because we don't like it when people don't like us. But there's 7 billion people on the planet. 
Do you realize how insane it is to think that all of them could like you? They're all really, really different. It's like, I want to have a flavor that everyone will like. It's like, no, I don't care how good that flavor is. I don't care how much you like chocolate or strawberry or whatever. Not everybody's going to like it. That's just the nature of the world. And you are a flavor and not everyone's going to like you. Or a tree or, a, you know, like a squirrel. Not everybody, everybody likes squirrels. It's just a squirrel, right? But there are people in the 7 billion people who hate squirrels for whatever reason. They just can't stand them. And they don't like chocolate and they don't like you. What's the problem, Right. But we're okay with them not liking squirrels or chocolate or strawberries. But if they don't like you, oh no, that's a problem, isn't it? Only because of the wounding associated with it. So that's where we grow up and it starts to show up where we shrink to fit or and sell out on our truth or in business, we orient toward, well, I want to be able to sell to anyone and I can't alienate anyone. Well, if you're not willing to alienate whether it's a friend or a customer, then you dilute yourself. You dilute yourself. And what people always say is, well, what about companies like Walmart or Costco? You know, they serve huge amounts of people. <clears throat> yes, they do. And you know what? They risk alienating people every day. Because even though Warren Buffett famously, I don't know if he still does, but at one time, he would every morning on his way to work would go to McDonald's. It's one of the richest people on the planet. He would go to McDonald's and use exact change to buy like an Egg McMuffin. It depended on the day. He would buy an Egg McMuffin on one day for $3.86 or whatever. And, and his like wife would count the bills and the change and that's what he would eat every day <clears throat> or at least regularly. So Warren Buffett is not in McDonald's target market. So they failed to alienate him, right? But it's not a luxury brand, right? The guy's a billionaire. So just because Warren Buffett eats there regularly doesn't mean McDonald's accommodates that. And, you know, in, in the image and sensory package and the positioning and all that is oriented toward billionaires far from it, you see? So even big businesses that use, for example, really obvious primary colors like Walmart and uh, fast food chains. If you look at fast food uh, color schemes, they're, they're very basic. They're, they're not uh, subtle hues. They're not pastels. They're you know, usually red and or yellow. Um, sometimes with like Taco Bell has the purple thing going on, but there's almost always red and yellow. These are very bright, obvious colors that appear appeal to lower consciousness people. That's not by accident. It's the same way if you see a Corvette, it's almost always that stupid, sorry, I'm being judgmental. It's almost always that being a higher consciousness person, I have, I, I, parts of me cringe at these kinds of colors because I'm just not in the market, right? I would never buy a Corvette that's that yellow. You know that yellow I'm talking about? You can see it. You can see it. It's obvious. It's almost like harsh on the eyes but that appeals to denser, lower consciousness people. Not that there's anything wrong with those people. It's the same way, you know, like a, um, a toy that's designed for a four-year-old has like big buttons that are rounded and soft and they can't stick it in their mouths. It's designed for those kinds of people. And whereas, you know, the colors that uh, Bugattis come in are likely not going to be that same Corvette yellow. I mean, those kinds of cars, you can get them whatever color you want, right? You send them a paint swatch and they, they make it for you. 
But uh, when you see a Corvette, it's like half the time it's that yellow. That's that's there for a reason because Corvette knows who their market is, and it's not Ferrari people or it's not Porsche people or it's not. It's different. You see. So uh, how did I get down on this? Lost my place. Oh, uh, so I was talking about marketing as a discipline. So the willingness to alienate a market, that's one of the reasons why people don't target market. That's, uh, you have to be willing to alienate some markets, not actually alienate them, because Warren Buffett still goes to McDonald's, but you have to be willing to alienate them by designing your business around who your tribe is. You see? And so most people balk at committing to a specific target market because they're afraid they're going to lose customers. Uh, and that's, I write about this in the tool, and that's a hump many people have to get over. But a small business will not become a big business, excuse me, unless you jump that hurdle. You have to get that focused and be willing to do that. So, like, you know, Apple, for example, was willing to alienate. Um, Geeks who wanted to be able to tweak the settings of everything, you know, get in there about, I don't know, five years ago, uh, Apple started soldering the RAM to, uh, the, uh, to the motherboards and people were pissed. And it was, that was not just a engineering decision. That was a marketing decision. And Apple, and I don't necessarily like it, but Apple's part of Apple's brand and their marketing is we know what you need and you can't get in there and monkey around with it. And so from the user perspective, the people who don't want to have to monkey around with stuff are like, cool, fine. I don't want to have to decide how much RAM I need later and put it in or whatever. I don't want there to be 12 different ways to do everything like in Windows, whereas Windows is far more geek friendly and allows people to customize and get in there and get under the hood and do stuff. And I was a Windows guy. And then when I got tired of fiddling, I think I was probably early 30s, somewhere around there. I would just got tired of having to fiddle around with Windows all the time, to defragment the hard drives and everything, all that stuff. And I was like, screw it. I don't have time for this. And I went to Mac. I changed my psychology and I became a Mac person. I switched markets that way. And this, there's not a judgment about either one. It can change for people. Some people want a car that they can get under the hood of, and some people want a car that just works. And that's Apple's thing. It just works out of the box. You're not supposed to have to do anything with it. How successful they do that is a whole other story <laughs> because sometimes it's not. So that's the main reason, uh, the, the, the first reason that people uh, are unwilling to target market. The second reason is even more interesting because in marketing, if marketing is about getting to know who your customers and prospects are, you can only do that to the degree you know who you are, you see? And so I've seen so many um, psychographic strategies that are like stick figures of analyses only because the people who work at them don't know themselves. And this is a real challenge. Now, you don't, if you're a business owner, you don't have to be able to do a psychographic analysis of your target market. You don't have to be able to do that. You can hire that out. But how are you going to evaluate the effectiveness of someone else's psychographic analysis? If you don't have, it's sort of like, you got to know something about it. 
You got to know something about plumbing to be able to supervise the plumber who comes to your house and says, you know, when you see the pipe go around in a circle a few times before it goes to where it's going, you have to be able to go, hmm, I don't think it's supposed to be like that. But if you know nothing about plumbing at all, you'll go, well, he's the expert. I guess that's how it's supposed to be. So you can do this, the stuff I'm going to be teaching over the next uh, month or so, you can do this yourself. Uh, very often, it makes more sense for someone else to do it, like a marketing agency. But you want to be facile with it so that you can uh, you can contribute and you can kick the tires and you can recognize good work when you see it. So either way. Um, related to what I was just talking about, the um, who you want to work with as prospects and customers has to do with your relationship with people, has to do with your relationship with the world. And interestingly, we tend to think that we're really good at choosing people in our lives far more than we actually are. I mean, all you got to do is look at the average marriage, right? It's like, okay, this is the one, let's do it. Let's spend the 10, 20 grand on the wedding because, you know, think about like that amount of investment of money. Like you're really sure you know, it's like you could have spend $25,000 on a car. You think you're going to be driving it for, you know, 10 or 20 years. When you spend 25 grand on a wedding, like you really, there's an investment there. Like we're going to have this thing and it's going to certainly last longer than just two or three years. But the divorce rate is over 50%. So what that tells us is at least in part that we're not good at picking people. And this is also true in marketing. Uh, I see all the time where people have picked markets that are actually not a good fit for who they are, their values, and their business. Now, big businesses, this is less the case. When you have a big business, if you've got 100 people or 1,000 people on the marketing team, uh, it, it insulates the values of the leaders and their personalities from influencing who they're, who they're working with, you know. Uh, it becomes a whole different thing. But big businesses, as Michael Gerber once said, are just small businesses that worked. So to get to that place, you have to be able to sort out your people picking thing. And that means looking very closely at your values, the business's values in that order, and then the customers that you attract and who you want to work with. Because one of the biggest myths in marketing is that it's all about the customer. You know, uh, like I've meet people who are kind of um, thin on the soulfulness quotient, who are identify as entrepreneurs and they orient toward like, okay, well, I'm going to find a need and then fill it. Find a need and then fill it. That's what business is about. Okay. To me, that's just soulless. What is your value that you want to bring to the world? What would you do if you didn't have to work? What, what is the imprint you want to make on society? What are you bringing? And that brings in the passion path stuff that I've talked about in other courses. Because you want, I would assert, your work to be an expression of you. Not just find a need and fill it. You know, So it's like there's an ever-growing need for pornography in the world. Lots of business opportunity there. So does that mean if you're an up-and-coming entrepreneur, you go, oh, yeah, there. Or you know, new weapons systems, there's always demand for that. Or new de uh, designer drugs that are not yet illegal, there's lots of demand for that. You know, it's like there has to be some kind of internal 
what's important to you, the expression of your values, you know? And it doesn't mean it has to be some lofty thing. It could be taking a very simple thing like dry cleaning that uh, uh, some of you guys are involved in and doing it really, really, really well, you know? Or solving a problem in an industry. That's one of my favorite things uh, to orient around is what I call the industry dysfunction. That, and the idea is that every industry has a primary dysfunction that's in the reputation. So like contractors are unreliable, dry cleaners destroy your stuff or lose it. Um, consultants are arrogant and say lots of stuff, but don't actually help you or don't care and just take your money. Uh, lawyers, pretty much the same. Doctors, pretty much the same. <laughs> you know, every industry has this kind of shadow based archetypal reputation. And so it's an incredibly lofty thing to go in there and just fix that. You know, I had a contractor client years and years ago who was a super high integrity guy. And uh, I could just feel it in the way he talked and the stories he told. And, uh, and I just reflected that to him over and over again. I said, you have more integrity than any contractor I've even heard of. So that's your brand. That's, well, that's your sort of marketing value, but you're not advertising that. So, so like I remember once we were talking uh, and I said, so when you say you're going to arrive at a customer's house, you know, how does that work? And he's like, well, we do this and we do this and we call them up and we say, we'll be there, you know, between like eight and 10. And I said, no, 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 no. You tell them you're going to be there at 8.15 to the minute. You make promise after promise after promise, specific as hell, and then demonstrate that you can deliver exactly on it. That's taking his internal value and expressing it as a brand, in that case, in, uh, in delivery or production, depending on how you want to call it. And his business turned around so fast, it made my head spin. Because who he was, was not being advertised. It wasn't being broadcast. Why? Because he didn't see it. He had such high integrity, he didn't think it was a big deal. Because he had humility too. But all of his competitors lacked integrity. And all of his customers hated it. They were waiting for someone to come around who could actually keep their word. And so the fascinating thing about the marketing process, right? that's the, the, the leadership process that marketing is, is it's very much often about finding out who you are and what's great about you and then just letting some people in on it. Because our biggest gifts we typically don't see, much less tell people about, much less advertise. And then you want to build your business around that, those gifts. Now, when, it, when the business becomes big, it's a whole different thing. But for smaller businesses, I'd say less than certainly 100 people, maybe even up to 1,000. The gifts that, of the people involved are, are very much come to bear. It's supposed to be an inside-out expression. So rather than thinking about find a need and fill it, what does the customer need and we'll give it to them? which is soulless and has no self-interest, no individual expression in it. It's what do I have to offer and who are the people who will actually appreciate it? You see, it's like a Venn diagram, like a relationship. So, you know, if you were to, you know, if somebody were single for a really long time and desperate for a mate and, and asked, and they asked you for advice and, uh, 
And that person said, well, I could, you know, I could be with just about anybody, you know, I, I could, I, you know, I could fit with this kind of person, fit with this kind of person, fit with that kind of person. You would, you, you would laugh inside maybe and cry a little bit as well and say, oh, sweetie, that's not how you attract a mate. You got to be you and you got to know what you want. You can't just be whatever that's spineless. And people aren't attracted to that. What people are attracted to is someone who says, I know at least this much about me, not everything. I know this much. Here are my gifts. If you don't appreciate those, then I guess you're not a member of my tribe. I wish you well on your journey. You know, not screw you, you're a dummy. Get out of my life. That would be teenage rebellion. And not like, oh, okay, you don't see my biggest gifts. Well, that's okay. You want to get dinner Friday night? Because that would be a child conforming to whatever. Maturity is this is who I am. These are my values. This is what I have to offer the world. Is that interesting to you? If, if yes, terrific. Let's talk further. If not, maybe we'll cross paths again one day. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But how many human beings as adults are able to do this in adult relationships? It's easy to see that this is actually very difficult. So because this is very difficult, just with one person or another, now try doing it in a business of 100 people with 20,000 people in your market. It just gets amplified. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.